All right, we're continuing in our series. Uh, we're looking at uh, the, the whole book of Romans. And if you haven't been to Grace before, one of the things that we do is we uh, read through the Bible. We teach through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, because we think that's the best way to know what's in the Bible. And we believe that the Bible is the best way for you to know who God is. And so as we, uh, as we run through this right now, we're in a series called um, How to Get Unstuck, Okay. And we're looking at ways in which, whether it's theological ideas or it's just emotional, um, uh, relational problems that get us stuck in life, and that's not where God wants us to be, how do we move beyond them? How do we get unstuck in life? And I think the Bible has a ton to talk about. And so we're going to look at some of that today. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. Let me talk a little bit about last week. Last week, we were working on some really big ideas, some important stuff. A couple things just to remind you of. Last week, I introduced you to the idea that everybody operates on a set of rules. Every person on the planet. It doesn't matter, by the way, if you're in the room right now and you're religious or you're not religious. Everybody operates on a set of rules, right? And you might actually be pushing back in your mind right now going, no, 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 not me, Mike. I'm not, I don't follow the dumb rules that you guys follow as Christians. That's not what I do. I do my own thing. Well, that's your rule. I don't follow dumb rules. I do my own thing. That's your rule. Everybody operates on rules. We do operate on rules. Um, In fact, your brain is designed by God to specifically operate that way. The brain is designed to produce the minimum amount of work to create the outcome that you desire for it to create. Like when we were kids, when we were kids, we basically, to learn our multiplication tables, and we don't do it any different today, we had flashcards, we had little papers, we have computer, and we go over it and over it. Nine times one is nine, nine times two is 18, nine times three is 27, nine times four is 36. I have a little panic attack that I get one of those wrong, right? <laughs> I'm just doing it. But, but so when someone comes to you today, though, because you're well past that age of learning that, someone says, hey, what's nine times four? You go, well, why, you weirdo? But, 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 then, but then you go 36, and you don't have to think about it. Why? Because the brain takes rules and basically pushes it to your subconscious so that you can operate your attention on everything that's important in an everyday life. Like in 1985, when I first learned how to drive stick shift, my buddy taught me on his Volkswagen Rabbit. And we went out uh, in Winter Park, we were driving down the road, and I just remember, he's like, you gotta pull off the clutch and push the gas down at the same time. You gotta make sure you put it in gear. Listen, as the engine revs, you put it, you know, you pull it back. And I, it took me a while. I would drive down, doing some of this back and forth, and I would grind the gears, right? But if you drive stick shift today, and you've done it for a while, you know that you can get in, you turn on the car, right? You turn on the, no, you don't. You turn on the car, you turn on the car, and, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden now, you don't have to think about it at all. It's an unconscious process. Why? The brain was designed by God specifically to take problems, turn them into rules, and then make them part of our life. And it's no wonder that when God decided that the very first time that he was going to communicate with the world broadly, he gave laws, he gave rules, okay? The question is, how do we use those rules in such a way that they bring blessing and goodness to our life? And the argument that I'm going to build this morning is that God gave us his law for multiple different purposes, and if you use it and apply it in the wrong way, it becomes a curse to your life. If you use it in the right way, it's a blessing to your life. In fact, I will say it is the way to be blessed, okay? So last week, we discovered three things. Three things basically motivate us. Let's take a look at those things. Number one, a demand in our life. Number two, a threat in our life. And number three, a promise in our life. And so let's take a look at these. They can be, again, just as a, as a reminder, um, the, a demand is a call to action. And it doesn't have to be a demand the way that you and I would think. Like, give me your money, right? That doesn't, it's not like that. It can be someone coming to you and saying something like this. They can come and say, hey, um, 
You've got some things going on in your world right now that I'm really worried about. I love you. I'm for you. And I want, I want you to make some changes in your life. And, and I'm afraid that if you don't make these changes, then what's going to happen is you're not going to be the person that you want to be. You're going to end up some places you don't want to be. And you're never going to fulfill God's purposes for your life. But if you turn things around right now, there's great hope for you in the future. These are things that we do unconsciously multiple times a day. As we come across problems, we look at these things, and this is everything that we're thinking about, like constantly demands, demands, demands. The question is, do we have the right set of rules? Do we have the right authority? And are we going to use those in such a way, can we use them in such a way to bring blessing? I think the answer to that is yes. Paul is wrestling with this right now. He's helping people understand the law in Romans 7, 7, and this is what it says. What shall we say? What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So this is the command, you shall not covet. So what does he say? So is the law sinful? Why is he asking that question? Because you look at that and you go, well, that doesn't quite make a lot of sense. The reason why he's asking this question is because as he has taught these principles that we've looked at so far, there were some people who were looking at him going, you know what? The law is the problem. Why would it be a problem? Right here. I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. So when I first came across this verse, and I hadn't studied, and I was fairly young, I was maybe 20 years old when I first came across this, I thought, and I made a conclusion uh, wrongly, I thought, you know what? If this is true, that I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law, you shall not covet, then I wouldn't be responsible for it if I didn't know what it was. And so I thought, you know what? When it comes to the law of God, ignorance is bliss. It's just kind of like, it's, it's kind of like driving down the road really fast. You don't know the speed limit so that when you get pulled over, the cop says, hey, do you know what speed limit you're going? You're like, no. And, 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 and it's truthful and you're fine. Like, like you still might get a ticket, but it, like, like integrity wise, you can go, yes, I know absolutely that I, I was not versus knowing what the speed limit is and choosing to exceed it, which I do all the time. Right. So choose like, and when you get pulled over, he goes, you know, the speed limit, you're like, yes, I know I was doing wrong. Absolutely. I'm, I'm clear on that. So maybe it's better for us not to know the law at all, not to understand these principles. And that would disconnect us from responsibility. But that's actually not what's happening. People here are looking at this and they're thinking that the law itself is the cause of sin, but it's not. It's the thing that exposes the sin. You need to think of it like this. It's like an x-ray. When you go to the doctor and there's something wrong with you physically, he might look at you and go, you know what? If you have some localized pain somewhere, he might go, you know what? I don't know what's wrong. I can't see it. I'm looking at you on the outside. You look fine. There's nothing really wrong. I can't see anything. You know what we're going to do? We're going to take an x-ray. And we're going to take an x-ray because the x-ray can do something that I can't do as a doctor, and that is look inside of you and determine if there's some underlying disease or there's some underlying broken bone or something. And so when he comes back and goes, yeah, Mike, that's right. When you were out and about and you fell down when you were playing around, you actually fractured your arm. See, now I'm in a good standing. Why? Because I can look at the doctor and go, okay, I got a fractured arm. What can we do about that? And he can provide treatment, and the treatment leads to eventual healing. That's exactly what the law does. It is an x-ray to show us what's going on on the inside of our heart because we can't see it. I look at my life and I go, things seem like they're okay. And then I hold the law up against it. It x-rays my soul, looks inside and goes, no, 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 there's some spiritual cancer on the inside of you, Mike. 
and it needs to be dealt with. Because if it's not, cancer just doesn't go away. It metastasizes and takes over and then eventually kills and destroys. And that is what the law does. We hold it up. It shows us what's on the inside of us. We get clarity about what's on the inside of us. Then we can get treatment, which will eventually lead to some healing in our life. And that's exactly what the, what the scriptures give to us. And so he says, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Well, the law is not sinful any more than an x-ray is sinful. But what the law does do is the law shows us the spiritual disease beneath the surface. It allows us to see ourselves for who we truly are. And if we're really intellectually honest, we would say that we have an extraordinary capacity for self-delusion. Everyone operates with a set of rules. Now, here are the questions that we're going to look at here. Are they the right rules? Or are you applying, and, and, and are you applying them correctly? Are they the right rules? Let me just say this. Some of you need to get unstuck, and here's, here's the reason why. You've held on to rules for a long time in your life that you developed a long time ago to protect yourself, that you still carry with you today when it's not necessary to protect yourself in the same way. And you need to let them go because they're now damaging your life. Listen, all of us know Christians and even non-Christians who they might be your acquaintance. Hopefully they're not your close friend. These are, these are, real, these are time suckers. These people are like, are like, they've got problems all the time, right? This is the person that constantly, like, how are you doing? Well, the family's falling apart. Our job is, you know, and just, it's one gripe after another. Well, why is that? Because they're operating off of an outdated set of rules, an outdated set of rules. So what does that look like? So like, like my father, if you've been around a long time, you know that my father was like physically, emotionally abusive to us growing up. It was a house of rage is what it was. But, but here's the thing, and this is an excuse for it because I don't think we do excuses here. Um, but my father grew up, uh, my grandfather, uh, we, my father was very poor. One thing I'm very grateful for my uh, father for is he, poor, he pulled us out of poverty. My grandfather worked in the coal mines of West Virginia. And back then, they didn't have the kind of instrumentation that they have now when they go into the coal mines. It's still a very dangerous and difficult job. But nonetheless, they would go in, and they would come out, and they would be black. You can just go online and take a look at these guys. And he died of what's called black lung because he inhaled all of those particulates. And so what ends up happening is he dies, and my, my, my father's around six or seven years old. He's dropped off at an aunt's house by his, his mom because she's not sure what to do with him. And then she bails and never sees him again. And then he goes from one foster, because everyone's too poor there, he goes from one foster home to the next for his entire life. So he developed this like internal ruggedness that was like, I have to protect myself. And that was legitimate, because at that point in time in his life, everyone that was supposed to take care of him disappointed him. But then he created some rules. And we would hear them all the time. They came out, I will have respect. My brother and I heard that all the time. I will have respect, which means obedience. I will have respect. Or he would say to, to people who he did business with, he, he would say, like, you got to respect me. We can negotiate, but you got to respect me. But nobody gets respect all of the time. In fact, the more respect you get is by being humble, not by demanding it. But he was this boy who was broken and scared, who developed rules that turned into this man that had rules that were outdated that he needed to let go a long time ago. The Bible says it this way. When I was a child, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish things behind me. That's what we're called to do. So some of you, I'm telling you right now, it may not be the same thing my father had, but you've got those things from the past, you made rules, and here's what you believe, and it's a lie. You just say, that's just who I am. No, it's not. It's what you think, and it's how you adapt, and it's not who you are. And you need to let go of that. And the Spirit of the Lord will help you let go of that. 
by comparing it to what the scriptures teach us we're supposed to be like. And what the law of God does for us is it gives us boundaries and it gives us direction, but it has to be done in very specific ways. And there's a big problem with this. We'll take a look at two theological ideas. Let's put up justification here. Two ideas I want you to remember. Two Bible words. I'm just, these are the only two Bible words that I need you to remember. Justification, sanctification, write them down, put them in your phone, whatever. Right? Take a picture of this. Justification happens when God declares you not guilty. Wow. When God declares you not guilty of sin. It's God's work done. It's God's work alone, rather. We play no part in it. So here's what this means. When you, especially if you're taking your first steps toward God right now, and you're thinking like, I just don't know what to do next. I'm not sure where to go. Here's what you need to know. Relax. If you're here and you're interested, the Lord is already at work in your life. He's not hiding, okay? He's seeking, okay? He's seeking you. And so what happens is, what happens is God declares, and he's the only person in all of history, he's the only person in all of the universe who can do this, because when he declares something, he says, this is true, it actually translates into being true, okay? So God, because he's a king, and because, because he's a judge, he has the ability to declare. And so what does he declare? He looks down from heaven and my wickedness and my sinfulness and my rebellion against him, my disinterest in him, my, 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 completely, my completely opposite lifestyle to what he wants. He says, hey, Michael, you are now not guilty anymore. And some of you push back in your minds right now and you, you go, well, wait a second, that's not morally right. How can he just say that you're not guilty anymore? Listen, you're, you're missing it. Hold on. He didn't say you were innocent. He just said, I'm not going to hold you accountable for the sin that you've committed against me. It's the most inequitable exchange in all of human history. He literally says, I'm going to take it on the chin. And he did that by sending Jesus into the world and dying for your sins when he didn't need to. There was no mandate that God had to send Jesus into the world to die for your sins. But he did it because he loves you. He did it because you could not do it for yourself. And so here's, 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 where, this, here's where this comes in. How does this relate to the law? Well, it relates to the law because whenever we try to apply the law, whenever we try to apply the law to our salvation, it always falls short. The only thing that the law has to say to us in terms of our salvation is, you can't do it on your own. That's it. It's over. My son comes to me this week, and my son's kind of like a, a minor TikTok star. He's got tens of thousands of followers on TikTok, and all he does is dance. No, I'm just kidding. He doesn't dance. All he does, all he does is, uh, I wish I could dance. I, you are lucky. Can I just say that right now? If I was coordinated and I could dance like those TikTok people, I would be the dancing pastor and you would be ashamed of me. I'm telling you, that's just the only reason why I'm not doing it. Okay. No skill at all. So, so here, but, but, but catch this. He comes to me. He goes, dad, there's this guy teaching. He's like 40 something years old. He's teaching on TikTok, but he's confusing justification and sanctification. And I'm like, I love you so much. And uh, he's confusing justification and sanctification. And he's causing people to stumble. And he says, he says, I reached out to him. And, he, and, then, he, and then this guy like sends him back like a voicemail. Oh, Connor, you're too young to be teaching. You probably shouldn't stay in the, and you probably shouldn't be in the teaching arena. And I'm like, give me your phone. So I'm like, Right? And so, so, so I, and I'm just blasting this guy. I'm like, here's where your theology is completely falling apart. You basically are taking the concept of justification, which is the work of God alone, and saying, basically, and here's what he was saying. He was saying, if you don't believe in this social issue, social issues that are close to our hearts, if you don't believe in this social issue, you can't go to heaven. And I was like, huh, no. So, so I tore him apart. And at the end of it, I'm basically like, you should be off TikTok because if you don't understand these basic principles of Christianity, you shouldn't be a TikTok teacher. 
you know? And the good thing about it, listen, the good thing about it is this. It was Connor's Instagram, not TikTok, not mine. Like I could say whatever I want and I was so harsh and it was awesome. I'm like, Connor, you shouldn't be so harsh. And it was just, it was just like, it was awesome. It was great. Watch this. Justification happens when God declares you not guilty of sin. He didn't say that you were innocent, but what you can't do is go to someone and say, hey, if you behave, God will love you more. Hey, listen, right now, right now, this is so important. God can't love you any more than he does right now. And the reason for that is because his love is perfect. <laughs> it does not, it does, it's not going to get, it's not going to increase and it's not going to decrease based on your behavior. It's simply his sovereign choice to say, I love you. I declare you not guilty of the crimes against heaven. And I've sent my son and his perfect life applies to your sinful life. That's why you go to heaven. So whenever someone comes to you, especially if you're not religious, and you hear these Christians, and sometimes they're out there, and maybe they're Christians, but, but a lot of times they're just legalists, that people who apply the law in a way that's inappropriate, they'll come to you and say, if you stop smoking, if you stop drinking, uh, sleeping with the wrong types of people, if you start sleeping with anybody that's not your spouse, if you, if, you, if, you're, if you quit doing drugs, then God would love you more. That's not true. It's not true. Listen, that's what differentiates Christianity from every other major religion, period. Every other major religion says, here's the path to go to heaven. And if you follow this path and you are a good boy and you are a good girl, maybe at the end, you'll go to heaven. God said, I sent my son to die for you. That's it. Now, let's take a look at it. So this guy was doing what he was doing and I blasted him. Here, here, here's, here's what it's like. Let's put it through our lens of motivation. The demand, you better obey everything in the Bible. Now listen, I, I do want you guys to obey the scriptures. I do. I think it's very important. But also know that you can't do it perfectly. And you never will. But give it all your heart. But this is a threat. If you don't do it, you won't go to heaven. Whenever someone does that, it's misaligned. The promise, God will be more happy with you if you obey and he will let you go to heaven. That's a lie. It looks like a promise. It's a lie. And it's pretty because it looks like I'm doing great things for the Lord. No, no, no. The Lord did great things for you. Okay? We don't do great things for the Lord. We receive the great things that he's done for us. It's what we do. So here's the principle up on the screen. I just want you to like codify this in your hearts and minds. The law never applies to issues of salvation for a Christian. They just don't. Other than basically saying you can't do it on your own. Right? God alone is responsible for our salvation. We play no part other than simply to do what? To receive it. Verses 8 and 9 give us some amazing insight as well to human nature, fallen human nature. It says this. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. Let's take a look at this. Go back. Sin, seizing, right here. So this word seizing means to take captive, and it means to take authority where it doesn't belong. So sin, taking authority where it doesn't belong, afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. Coveting is loving something too much, loving a car too much, a house too much, even a child too much, loving something more than you love God. That's what, that's what that is. So it says, sin, which is not the same thing as the law, seize the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every... So what does that mean? Well, when I was a child, my mom used to make these amazing chocolate chip cookies, right? And she'd do it all the time, and they were probably Toll House. And, uh, but she would put them on the counter, right? She'd put them on the counter, and she would say, Michael, don't eat these until after dinner, because this is an after dinner treat. And I was like, yes, mommy. And I'd just be like, 
And I would walk back and forth and I would look at the cookies and... <sighs> and then I would swipe a cookie, right? And that's just what happened. What's going on right there? Like, what, they've actually done giant psychological studies on that. Go look up the chocolate chip marshmallow experiment, okay? In psychology, it talks about this. Delayed gratification, the whole thing is fascinating. I didn't have any of that. So, but... S- Sin, seizing the opportunity with the chocolate chip cookies afforded by my mom's commandment, don't touch these, produced in me. Notice what sin does? It produces. Ancient Puritans, they used to say this, um, ancient, uh, many, many years ago, they were Puritans, and one of the things that they used to say is this. They would say, be killing sin in you, or sin will be killing you. Because sin's always producing something. It produces in me what? Coveting. It produced coveting in me? No, no, it made you aware of coveting, which then made you want it even more. That's the whole concept of forbidden fruit. Why does it become appealing to us all of a sudden? Because someone said, don't do it. Because the very nature of our sin is that it takes authority where it doesn't belong. And it, afforded by the commandment, produces in us every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, if there were no law, then sin would be dead. Why? Because there's no commandment. There's no speed limit, so I can drive as much as I want. So you see how people were confusing it. Like, is the, is, the, is the law the problem or is it sin? Well, the law is not the problem. It's an x-ray that shows us our hearts. And our hearts are, whenever God tells us not to do something, we don't want to do that. We want to do something different. And that takes discipleship and growth for us to be able to move on. I want you to see it this way. Now, sanctification. Now, let me just, we're turning a corner right now. All of what we talked about was justification. Now we're turning a corner and we're going to talk about sanctification. I actually believe that for the Christian and, and what, what's the difference? Justification is a once and for all statement that God makes, a declaration. You are, my, my, you are now my follower. I've declared you not guilty of your sin. You're a Christian. Okay? And sometimes that, that, that happens prior to us even being aware of it. And then we move in the direction of following him after that. All right? Now, from that time that he declares you to be righteous, for the rest of your life until you see him face to face, that's all sanctification. It's spiritual growth. So every time you hear the big theological term sanctification, just think spiritual growth, all right? Sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, producing in me every kind of coveting, for apart from the law, sin was dead. So for us, when we start thinking about the law as it relates to, sanctif- or as it relates to justification, our salvation, it does not apply. But when it comes to sanctification, let's look at that definition. Sanctification is the process of spiritual growth, and it's cooperative. Remember, we said that justification is about what God does, Sanctification is cooperative. It's about you and God. This is where we get the phrase here all the time that I talk about, when you show up, God shows up. The Bible says it this way, when we draw near to the Lord, he draws near to us. So we have to actually do something. Taking your next step toward Christ means a real life that is spiritual is always in motion. They're never standing still spiritually. You're either regressing or you're progressing. Sanctification is the process of spiritual growth and it's cooperative. It's you and God together. It's God and you working working for good outcomes in your life. So that's what's happening. Now, how does the law apply to that? Here's, here's, here's how it applies. Go back to the analogy that we talked about before. Our friends who are acquaintances that we know that just live lives filled with drama, they have rules that undergird their life. And those rules are messed up. They're outdated, they're messed up, or they're just absolutely wrong. Money's the most important thing. Beauty will last forever. Strength is the only thing that matters. These are false rules. They're lies. And we build our life on these lies, then the outcomes of our life are distorted, twisted, and messed up. Right? And so let's take a look at this. 
When it comes to the law, the law now becomes for us a set of boundaries. If you remember two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, I talked about the idea that the, the moral law of God, we talked about civil, ceremonial, moral law, and we said the moral law is a reflection of the heart of God, right? It's a reflection of the heart. So when he says, I don't want you to lie, he's saying that because he's saying, I'm a person who will never lie to you. You can trust me. And because you can trust me and you're my people, I want you to be trustworthy and I want others to know that we don't lie together because you're like me and I want you to be like me. And so what they do, the law now becomes for us in our spiritual growth, a boundary in which inside of these boundaries, we find ourselves being safe, whole, and okay. When we live outside of these boundaries, which you have the permission to do, God's not going to drop down from heaven and go, don't do that. He'll let you take those steps. But if you are outside of the boundaries, then what happens is you will suffer the consequences of that. And what does that look like? Increased pain, increased drama, increased suffering. So let's take a look at this and just look at it through a couple of these lenses that we just looked at. All right. Sanctification or spiritual growth. Here we go. Uh, The demand is honor God with your money. This is just one example. Honor God with your money, right? This is what the Bible teaches us to do. Listen, if you think your money is yours, then your God does not have your heart when it comes to money. Everything the Bible, the Bible teaches us that everything in the earth is the Lord's, right? And so that includes what I possess, what I have, my children, my wife, my everything. That's the Lord's first, not mine. So I just steward it temporarily, right? So honor God with your money. Here's the threat. If you don't, you won't be trusted with more. He who is faithful, she who is faithful with little things will be faithful with and trusted with big things. More, in other words. If you don't, you won't be trusted with more. The promise, God blesses those that bless his church. We've seen it over and over and over again. I mean, almost ask any pastor in America. Ask ask Christians in this room. There were many Christians in this room who were like, I just hold on to everything because I live a life of fear and worry. Why? Because I don't have enough. And you do. Because if you don't have enough and if you act in faith with God, God multiplies it. That's not to say we're like prosperity gospel people. Look, sometimes when you write a $1,000 check to the church, guess what? You're down $1,000. It's not hard math. It's just not hard. Like, there's no promise you're getting 10,000 back. And if you go to that church, the Lord, you know, if you go to the church, then, 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 then that's just a lie, okay? But we give because we have been given. The promise, God blesses those that bless his church. That's the promise. So if you look at this, here's what you do. You look at yourself and you go, huh, here's a demand that I find in my life. Here's a threat. Here's a promise. Is this consistent with what the Bible teaches? If it is, follow it. That's how you know, right? Next one. Here's another one. The demand. Be faithful to your marriage. The threat. If you don't, your wife will kill you. <laughs> Fact, right? Right. Amen. That's right. So, so the threat. If you don't, your wife will kill you. What I'm really saying right there is that if you're not faithful, guys, to your wife, and this is not just a guy problem, right? If, 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 but if you're not faithful to your wife, this creates drama. No one ever has an affair and walks out. The, that was great. Regret. Fear, worry, destruction. The promise, you guys, I love this. I don't know what's going on over here, but we need more of it, okay? So the promise, if you are faithful, uh, you will avoid hurting yourself, your kids, your wife. You will avoid unnecessary pain. This right here is generational blessing. My parents, by the time they had me, were on their third marriage. I've been married now for 28 years. 
I will be, I will be married, I will be married till death do us part. Not because we're excellent, but because I'm committed to the next generation and the next generation and the disappearance of my father's legacy. We're doing it different, and you can too. You can too. So, so when we look at this, we say, well, be faithful to your marriage. If you don't, your wife will kill you. And this will bring all kinds of blessing into your life, and you will avoid all kinds. Of... So again, it's a boundary. If I live within the boundary, wonderful things happen in my life. Better things happen in my life. Now take a look at this third one. Be truthful in business. If you're a businesswoman in the, in, the, in the church right now, be truthful in your business. If you're not, you're going to lose credibility. People will, uh, people, uh, if you're not, you will lose credibility. The promise is this. People will trust you more, and more opportunities will be given to you because of your character. Listen, I've heard this over and over again. In business, sometimes, it's not about like right or wrong in this situation. Sometimes in business, you miscalculate, and something happens, and you're going to come out as the business owner short, but you have integrity and honor your promises with other people, they will come back the next time because they saw you lose in order to win. And then what happens is, we are, when we are truthful in business or just truthful in life, it enhances our, cred, our credibility, not a loss of credibility, and blesses our life because you'll have more opportunities because someone will go, you know what, I can trust that guy because he's been faithful, she's been faithful and consistent over and over and again. Because they've been this way in the past, I can believe that they'll be this way in the future. It's boundary. And that boundary keeps us safe inside of it. So you can never have someone come to you and say, hey, make sure you obey this, this, and this, or follow this social issue, or follow this candidate, or follow this, whatever, whatever it is. If they come to that and it has to do with your salvation, you reject it right away. That is not true. And it's also creating a demand on your life that is unnecessary. But there are demands in the Bible. Following Jesus is a real thing. It means following. There are rules and regulations. There are, there are principles. And when we live inside of them, it blesses our life. It changes us. It opens doors for us. We become different people. Now, here's a challenge. I want you to think about this. Some of you walk around all the time with outdated rules. Or maybe just wrong rules altogether. Here, here Listen. That's a giant piece of what's wrong with you emotionally on the inside. If you go to counseling, you go to therapy sometimes, one of the things that we do is we will just pull apart all of those lies that you're holding on to on the inside of you so that you can gain clarity for the first time. It's an x-ray that shows you what's going on on the inside of you. It allows you to see what you can't see yourself. So take some time, and here's how you do it. Really simple process, not complicated at all. What do you constantly demand of yourself? And you know it because it's an urgent demand. I must do this. I must be this person. I have to. For some of you, like, just like, for some of you, it's your physical condition. And you, you look at yourself and you go, I'm not, I'm not where Instagram tells me I should be. And it's just demand after demand. Put down that stupid donut. Get on the, get on the treadmill. Do whatever you need to do. If the Lord tells you to do that, do that. But if the world tells you to do it, put it away. Put it away. You don't have to follow it. You don't have to follow it. What is the demand that is constantly front and center, and how is that demand followed up by the threat? And here's what you do. First, you make them visible to yourself. Spend some time thinking about it. And then secondly, you look at it, and you go, how does it relate to the Bible? If it's true, then you follow it 
and you yield yourself to it. Because what we trust is that God actually has a good plan. He's a good father and wants beautiful and wonderful things for us. And so when we follow him, he's not a trickster like the Greek gods and turn back around and go, I was just kidding. It's actually, you should have been a Mormon, right? Like, like, like that's, not, that's not how it works, right? So, so he's trustworthy. If he makes a demand, it's because it's for your good, okay? So the law of God now is a boundary for us that we get to look at and say, God, I will trust you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. But to compare it to the word, if you have this thing inside of you that's saying, I've got to be this super crazy, amazingly successful person because my dad was or the past was or people look at me and say, you have all this potential, you need to be this person. If it doesn't match up with scripture, throw it away. You carry around with you right now way too much. You're the most connected culture in the world. History. No one's been as connected or had as many demands on your life as you do at this point in time. Let it go. How do you get unstuck? Compare what you believe in your rules to what the scripture teaches us. And then here's the last verse. It says, he, he summarizes the whole thing. So then, the law is holy. It's not bad. It's your friend. The law is holy, which means it is good to accomplish its purpose. And the commandment is holy. Righteous means good and good. Over and over and over, he says the same thing. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's an x-ray that shows you what's going on in the inside of you. Spend some time doing that this week. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask right now that you would take our hearts with all of the brokenness and all of the demands that come along with threats which produce fears. And we ask that you help us to hold them up to the truth of the scripture. If there are some demands in our world that are right, let us submit to them. Change us. Your word tells us that we won't be changed by ourselves. You will cooperatively work with us to be like you. It's not our power alone, but we have to show up. Lord, where there are people or even just pressures that are telling us to behave so that you will love us more, remind us that you loved us with an ultimate love when you sent Jesus into the world. There was no higher gift. There was no greater sacrifice. There was nothing better. And so, Lord, hold on to us as we hold on to your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen.